Hola, que tal? A warm welcome to a brand new episode of the When in Spain podcast. I'm your host, Paul. Thank you for joining me wherever you're listening from around the world. In this episode, a little bit of relaxing armchair travel. We're going to be taking you off to the beautiful little town of Brihuega in this episode. Brihuega is in the province of Guadalajara, about an hour and 15 minutes drive from Madrid, not far away. And Brihuega is most famous really for its lavender and the surrounding lavender fields and lavender production in the area. Now, I discovered it through Instagram. I've seen lots of people posting these beautiful photographs of lavender fields and the uh, pretty little town of Brihuega on their accounts. And I thought, oh, I'd like to go and check that place out. Plus, I'd never really been to the province of Guadalajara, even though it's uh, right next to Madrid. So me and Karina and a couple of our friends decided to do a little half day trip, jump in the car. And I must say, 100% worth it. Absolutely beautiful place. Uh, if you're in Madrid for any period of time, uh, I would highly recommend it. If you want to catch the lavender fields in full bloom, in all their glory, it's advisable to go uh, towards the end of June, the whole of the month of July, and uh, they begin harvesting the lavender uh, during the first two weeks of August. But as you'll hear in the episode, there is a lot more to Brihuega than just lavender. Lots of interesting history behind the town as well, which we'll be talking about. And en route to uh, Brihuega, we did a little stop off in the city of Guadalajara, which is actually the capital of the province of Guadalajara. Um, now, to be honest, we weren't that taken with the city of Guadalajara. We stayed there for a couple of hours. We visited the uh, palace, which I think we all agreed was the only real notable site in the city of Guadalajara, just to say. We do talk about that uh, towards the end of the episode as well, and also a bit of the history behind uh, Guadalajara the origin of its name, but really the highlight was Brihuega and why it's become one of the biggest lavender cultivation areas uh, in the world, which uh, I was uh, very surprised about. Anyway, before we get into the sights and sounds of Brihuega and the uh, wind rustling the fronds of lavender and the bees buzzing around the fields, I would just like to say, as always, a big gracias to brand new When in Spain patrons. So a big gracias to David Solomon, to Miriam Otero, and to Karen Hurlbut. Thank you so much to you guys for supporting the Weddings Fame podcast and the work I do in putting it together and bringing it to you guys. Patrons are the fantastic people that keep me doing this podcast basically by signing up at the crowdfunding website called patreon.com forward slash when in Spain is the when in Spain page and you can sign up to make small donations right there. So if you enjoy this show, please do consider uh, doing that. Incidentally, I took quite a lot of photographs, of course, very Instagrammable. So if you'd like to put some pictures to the sounds and descriptions, uh, do head over to the When in Spain Instagram account. And the handle you need is at When in Spain 1. Anyway, I'm going to hand myself over to myself sitting on a busy square right in the heart of Brihuega at lunchtime. Vamos! So you join us in the beautiful little town of Brihuega. I'm here with my wife Karina and friends Adam and Ollie. We've stopped for some lunch. We're sitting on a little leafy square called Parque del Jardinillo. As you can probably hear from the background hubbub, 
It's uh, very busy. Everyone's sitting out on tables and chairs because it's lunchtime. We've just ordered some food, a little menu del dia. And uh, we've driven about 100 kilometers northeast of Madrid, about an hour and a bit driving time. And why have we chosen to drive up to this little uh, town of Bihuega in the province of Guadalajara? Well, two reasons. Uh, we have this little competition going on between me and uh, a few of our friends of how many Spanish provinces we've visited. How many can we tick off? There are 50 Spanish provinces. And since we visited Seville a couple of years ago, we went to the famous Plaza de España in Seville. Uh, if anyone's ever been to the Plaza de España in Seville, you'll know that they have the names of all of the Spanish provinces displayed in the Plaza de España in Seville. And they're all tiled beautifully with different uh, historical references to each province. And we were walking around there and uh, we had a little competition then to see how many provinces of Spain we'd visited. And, uh, well, Guadalajara, even though it's very close to Madrid, I realised that I'd never been to the province of Guadalajara. And me being a little bit competitive, wanted to tick off another province on my list. So coming here to the province of Guadalajara now takes me up to, I think, 28 provinces of the 50 provinces of Spain. The rule is that you have to have lunch or you have to sit down and eat something. Driving through provinces does not count, according to us. So that's one reason. The other reason is um, that Briwega seems to have become a very common place to come and visit if you're an Instagrammer, because it's very Instagrammable. Why? Because it's famous for its lavender, lavender fields. Now, a little bit later, we're going to drive out and find these lavender fields, which you can go and visit and walk among the lavender bushes and flowers. And there are some 30 lavender fields around the town of Priwega, uh, not right next to the town, uh, a few kilometres drive uh, back out into the countryside. And in fact, Brewega is home to 10% of the world's lavender crops. Those 30 lavender fields make up some 1,000 hectares of lavender. And, uh, well, in fact, only Provence in the south of France, China and Bulgaria uh, produce more lavender than right here in Brewega. I was quite surprised about this. I'd seen lots of beautiful pictures of lavender fields on uh, numerous Instagram accounts. I didn't realize the scale of lavender production. Now, apparently, lavender was already native to this area, uh, but its proliferation owes a great deal to one of Spain's most elite fashion brands. Have any of you heard or seen the name Loewe? Uh, whenever I see it, I always read it as low. It's L-O-E-W-E. -E. It's very common to see here in Spain. There is a Loewe shop in every Spanish town, lots of branches here in Madrid. It's a high-end uh, fashion chain, and they also make perfumes. And that is the key here, because around 40 years ago, a guy called Emilio Valeros, who was the then technical director at Loewe, taught the locals here in Brewega and the surrounding area how to distill lavender and turn it into essential oils. And it's those oils which the fashion brand Loewe uses in some of its perfumes. So it's a fairly new phenomenon, lavender, in this area. They've only been actively cultivating it for around 40 years. But today, the local distillery processes around two tons of lavender every day. 
And when you wander through the little town of Brewega, which instantly has a population of around 3,000, you can't help but notice everywhere you look the colour purple. There are purple awnings, there are purple garlands tied across balconies and streets. There are bunches of lavender. Everywhere you look, bunches of lavender tied to people's balconies uh, to shade some of the streets in the town. They festooned the streets with purple umbrellas strung up between apartment buildings, purple flower pots, purple curtains purple everything including food and drink uh, on the way in we saw these little uh, boutique shops selling lavender cake lavender chocolate lavender flavored lemonade lavender beer we haven't tried it yet i don't know if we will uh, lavender bath products lavender oil pots of honey produced by bees uh, collecting nectar from lavender flowers. You have the scent of lavender drifting out of these little shops as you walk along the streets. And in the middle of July, um, I don't think it happened this year, but in the middle of July, Brihuega is also home to a lavender festival. Of course, Spain loves their festivals and they'll always find something to create a festival about. And Brihuega just so happens to be lavender. It hasn't been going very long. Uh, the lavender Lavender Festival here in Brewega has been going for about eight or nine years, I believe. It's really, really picturesque, really beautiful, but there is a lot more to Brewega than just lavender. So let's look at a bit of the geography and history of the town. As I said earlier, Brewega is uh, located about 100 kilometers or so uh, northeast of Madrid. It's nestled in this beautiful little green valley which you descend into as you drive uh, down into the town. It's nestled in this little valley of the Rio Tajuña. And, uh, well, Brihuega is said to be one of the most beautiful towns in the province of Guadalajara. Earlier on today, on our way here, we did do a little stop-off in the city of Guadalajara, the capital of the province of Guadalajara. Uh, well, we're going to talk a little bit about that later on. Um, just to say that we weren't very impressed or taken with the city of Guadalajara, to be honest. And we'll talk a bit about that later. But it is on the way here. And so we kind of wished we'd just come straight to Brihuega and not wasted so much time in Guadalajara. So Brihuega dates back to the Middle Ages with the name of Castrum Brioca, which means castle on the rock. Adam is going to talk a bit about the castle as well uh, in a minute. Brihuega was a key town in the campaigns of the taking of Toledo by the Christians. And for that reason, it's a walled town and has a castle called Peña Bermeja, which was built just at the end of the 11th century and was used uh, more as a residence and a place of recreation uh, than actually as a defensive post. The town's also been a setting of important battles, such as that of 1937 during the Civil War when Brihuega was occupied by Italian troops who clashed with the Republicans. And then going back to the second half of the 18th century, Brihuega prospered thanks to the rise of a royal cloth factory, a royal fabric factory which was ordered to be built in 1750 uh, with an award enclosure by King Ferdinand VI, following in the footsteps of the textile tradition of the region. Uh, we walked past it earlier. It's an imposing circular building 
that became one of the most important industrial buildings in Spain, in fact, until during the War of Independence, it fell into the hands of the French, who used it as a barracks. After its recovery at the beginning of the 19th century, uh, it passed into private hands and it continued to manufacture fabrics until the Civil War. So, Adam, you're going to tell us a little bit about the history of the castle? Okay. There are a couple of things that are recommended to do in Brewega. One of them is Peña Castle. Peña Castle was originally for the archbishops. It wasn't for a king. And the archbishops would come here during the summer, especially when it was cooler, and they would have all of the church meetings, etc. One of the most frequent visitors was an archbishop named Rodrigo Jiménez de Rada. And one time when he was in France, he saw the newly constructed Notre Dame and was blown away by how light it was, because typically the castles and churches here in Spain were very dark, very closed spaces. But when he saw the Notre Dame, he thought, this is fantastic, look how much light it's got. I want to introduce this back into Spain. So when he returned to the castle, he ordered the Santa Maria de la Pena to be built, which is a church here in Bruega, Santa Maria de la Pena. It would then be one of the first examples of Gothic architecture being introduced here in Spain, in Guadalajara, in a small little village, after one of the archbishops had visited the Notre Dame and decided that he wanted to bring the style back here to Spain. Yeah, interesting stuff. Well, I think our lunch has just about arrived. Aquí hay. Gracias. Yeah, right. Well, so this is our menu del día arriving. Cachopo. Gracias. Gracias. Me pones un doble, porfa. Un doble. Que sean dos, porfa. Dos. So we're going to eat and then we'll go for a little wander and explore some of the must-see places around the town of Prehuega. It's a very small town, completely walkable uh, and absolutely charming. Okay, so we were just wandering uh, down the hill from the uh, shady square where we were sitting. We've got all of these uh, purple <laughs> umbrellas swaying in the breeze uh, over our heads as we walk down the street. Really pretty. We just stopped outside... Uh, uh, a townhouse, I suppose you'd call it, about three floors, got uh, large, dark, wooden, overhanging eaves. It's kind of a beige colour. All of the shutters are down. I have to say, it's actually uh, very uh, quiet in the town today. We're here on a Wednesday lunchtime. There are a few people milling about. A lot of the shops are closed. The uh, restaurants and bars were just about closing. We were lucky to duck into that place just before they closed the kitchen. Um, but it's very peaceful, very relaxing here, very quiet. I'm just looking up this townhouse. Um, and on the balconies, bunches of lavender. They've got, uh, each balcony's got three little flower pots, of course, purple. And then each balcony, uh, sort of attached to the front of these uh, metal balconies, you've got these big... Uh, purple umbrellas, but the purple uh, umbrellas are kind of in the shapes of are in the shapes of hearts, which is uh, very, very, uh, which is very 
very attractive. They've really uh, gone to town with the uh, lavender references in Briwega. Um I think they've uh, tried to make it into something of a, definitely into a sort of tourist attraction by making everything purple, lots of references to lavender across the streets, to shade the streets. They've also got these big purple canopies, which you see a lot around Spain. They're usually white, but these are purple, of course. And then we've got some uh, purple flags uh, strung up across the streets with the word lavender printed on them. But in it seems to me... Uh, in all different languages. So we've got, I can see French, it says lavande, lavantelli, I don't know if that's Italian. There's uh, Greek, Chinese, Japanese. Anyway, these flags have got the word lavender written on them in all the different languages. So you can definitely see that they've tried to kind of, I guess, cash in a bit on the, the, the lavender fame. Our first stop is going to be El Lavadero de la Blanquina. Now, this is the town's old municipal laundry, which was built in 1905. Now, it's completely open on one side. You just uh, walk in. And as I'm sure you can hear, the lovely relaxing sound of water. What we've got in front of us are three huge rectangular basins, I suppose you'd call them. Um, I don't know, they're probably about 10 metres long each. Stone basins, and at each end of the basins, you've got these uh, stone pipes which are pouring water into the basins. Uh, About six stone pipes at the end of each basin. Presumably for uh, washing clothes, obviously. It's a laundry, a public laundry, or at least it used to be. It's not uh, used as a laundry today. And you can see where they've got these uh, flat surfaces for lathering up the clothes, I guess. And then there's another small basin just opposite these uh, large rectangular basins. This has just got like one tap. This is much smaller. I think this is for, for rinsing. And then next to that, there's another, like, a sort of stone kitchen sink, basically, with a tap, uh, which it says here was uh, apparently used for washing kitchen utensils and pots and pans. So not just a laundry for washing clothes. It was actually a place where you bring your dirty plates after eating and do the washing up. Amazing. So if we head back out of the municipal laundry, just next to it on one of the exterior walls of the laundry is a large fountain well it's uh, another kind of uh, rectangular basin but this time much bigger and it's got actually 12 uh, pipes pouring water into it and just looking at it now there are a few people dunking their hands in I've got to say it's about 37 degrees this afternoon so uh, splash some water on my head in a minute. But anyway, this fountain is called La Fuente de los Doce Caños, of the 12 pipes. A caño, I suppose, in this case, we, we know the word caña to mean cane for a beer, uh, but a caño is uh, a kind of pipe, I suppose. And this is the fountain of the 12 pipes. Now, apparently, there's a local legend that says that if a single woman drinks from all 12 pipes, she will be lucky in love. 
Now, as you walk around Briweda, uh, you will notice there are numerous fountains. And that's because the soils of Briweda are rich in groundwater. There are lots of underground streams that crisscross Briweda. And it all comes bubbling up to the surface through these beautiful fountains. And in fact, it was until uh, relatively recently, to the middle, uh, the middle of the 20th century, that households used these fountains uh, to take water to their homes. And one of the larger ones we saw on our way in, which is actually in the Alameda Park. And this is a beautiful park. It's just close to where we parked the car. And uh, it's near the entrance to the town, because the sort of main entrance to the town Obviously, it was a walled town. You have this big archway. It's kind of obvious, uh, the obvious entrance into the heart of the town of Pliwega. And there's another large fountain in the centre of the park there as well. Now, the guy you can hear talking to a group of uh, tourists, visitors to the town, they are all uh, local tourists and they are Spanish. I think that the guy you can hear talking in the background is called Don Angel Gutierrez. So how do I know that? Well... There are some Moorish caves that lie beneath Briwega, uh, which were built between the 10th and 11th centuries. And, uh, well, over the years, they served as a refuge in all of the different sieges of the town. And there's a series of uh, tunnels, a kind of labyrinth of tunnels and galleries that are about eight kilometres in length in total. And you can visit these uh, caves. We're just at the little doorway now. If you want to go inside these caves, now I don't think they allow you to walk the whole eight kilometres, but you can go in and see a part of the, the, uh, the uh, Moorish caves. You have to go and ask for the key in the local butcher shop. Now, just opposite me is Hermanos Gutierrez Canicería. It's the butcher shop with lots of meats and embutidos and sausages. <laughs> <laughs> hanging in the window. If you want to uh, go into these caves, you've got to go in and ask for Don Angel Gutierrez, who I guess is the uh, owner, and he will come out and let you in. And he will, if he has time, give you a little guided tour, and he's just explaining a few things to... Uh, a few of these people outside. I think I just heard him say that the temperature inside the caves is a, a constant 12 degrees, much cooler than up here in the square. I don't think we're going to go in today because there's a bit of a queue of people waiting around. And he was saying that during the Civil War they were, they were used as uh, bunkers and if a siren sounded, the whole town scrambled down into the uh, Moorish caves. And apparently that the caves throughout the town are actually owned by the houses that are situated directly above them. Many of the caves are used as storage rooms or private cellars. So if you walk down the hill through the town, 
to a point where you feel like you're coming out of the centre of the town. You will come across the remains of the castle of Peña Bermeja, uh, which Adam talked about earlier. And just next to the walls of the castle, you've got these expansive views out across this very green valley, which is known as Jardín de la Alcarria. Beautiful green expanse stretching into the distance and rolling hills just on the horizon. Now, the reason the castle was uh, at the bottom of the hill was because, quite simply, Priwega moved, moved itself uh, because of the continuous problems with the uh, river swelling and breaking its banks. In the Middle Ages, most of the inhabitants moved to what they called the Barrio Nuevo. And the traces of uh, medieval Priwega can also be seen in its wonderful arches, which uh, I can see right in uh, front of me now, where we've just sort of walked through it. And part of the old uh, town wall, about two kilometres still remaining of the old town wall. It's a fantastic viewpoint out into the surrounding countryside. You have the Puerta de la Cadena, the Arco de Codagón, and the Puerta del Pelota. And the Arco de Codagón is uh, just next to the town's bullring. For any uh, film aficionados, anyone who knows the films of Pedro Almodóvar will probably know the 2001 film Talk to Her. Well, there were some scenes from the film Talk to Her, Habla con ella, shot right here in the bullring of Bewega. We can't get into it today. It's all closed off. We're just squinting through a little gap in the door. But just going back to the Castillo de la Piedra Bermeja, uh, the name owes itself to a large red-coloured stone uh, which is embedded between the ashlars of its facade. And, well, Bermejo in Spanish means auburn or bright red, and it represents the bloodshed in the murder, apparently, of a beautiful local woman at the hands of the castle guardian in times of Arab rule. The story of her tells that this man, whom she did not know, wanted to have relations with her in the river, just down in the valley, and when she refused, he killed her with a sword. Now, the stone on which her body was laid was stained red, and so the local uh, local briofenenses as they're known here in Briwega, decided to place that stone in a conspicuous place as a sign of a pain and dismay. So I think we're going to wander back up through the town, back to the car. Okay, next stop, Fields of Lavender. We found these beautiful swathes of purple. We've driven out about 15, 20 minutes, a few kilometers out of uh, Bewega. And what a feast for the eyes and for the nose. We are gazing across, I don't know, hectares and hectares and hectares of purple lavender fields, the lavender planted in 
rose, so the kind of purple is broken up by the golden orange colour of the earth, depending on the uh, angles that you look at across the fields. You get this kind of stripy purple and orange uh, pattern. You can probably hear the sound of the wind rustling the fronds of lavender. Bees everywhere, the place is buzzing with bees. I would not have expected this kind of sight in the province of Guadalajara, in the region of Castilla Mancha. As I look across into the distance, uh, you've got these sort of green rolling hills interspersed with uh, trees and laid out before the horizon with the hills, just these uh, swathes and swathes of uh, lavender fields. Cotton wool, white clouds dotted across the blue sky. And there's nobody here. It's about 6 p.m. now. And so uh, from what I understand is the time that most people come is for the sunset. I have noticed that uh, there is a little wooden hut just next to the fields. The fields go right up to the edge of the road. There's a little kind of uh, dusty car park at the side of the road. You park up and the fields are right there and you can just walk straight into the fields. There is a little wooden hut I've noticed and I've noticed a woman driving up in a car and unlocking this wooden hut, which to me looks like a shop. I saw her unloading lots of, la lots of lavender-related produce out of the back of her car and carrying it into this wooden hut, which makes me think that they obviously expect most people to come here in the evening, I guess, to catch the sunset, to make it even more beautiful than it is now. And uh, just to say that uh, to find these fields, they're not immediately obvious. They're definitely not right next to the town of Prihuega. There are two locations which are good spots to visit the lavender uh, fields. The location that we visited uh, for the Campos de Lavanda is a country road called GU925 and you'll find the lavender fields just between a small village called Malacuera and another one called Olmeda del Extremo. Now you'll drive and drive along this road and you'll just see green fields, green fields, and you'll think, where is the lavender? You come over a brow of a hill and then suddenly you'll see it. If you're coming from Briwega, uh, out on the left-hand side, you'll see the uh, sudden explosion of purple before your very eyes. Another location to see these beautiful lavender fields is heading north out of Briwega along the road, which is called CM2005. Okay, so we're going to head back to Briwega and I think we're going to have a beer to cool down. And we're going to talk about our visit this morning to the city of Guadalajara, which is the capital of the province of Guadalajara. On it, Adam? <laughs> and Adam's the left speechless. The silence speaks for itself. As we always seem to do, we seem to find ourselves travelling around Castilla León and Castilla Mancha in the height of summer mm. in July. So my first thoughts on it were hot and the locals had done the correct thing of closing their shutters and hiding away. <laughs> on the face of it, it makes the city seem quite empty. 
quiet but it yeah. did seem like they had some uh, party plans for later on quite a few signs saying the life in Guadalajara it's in its plathas yes which I quite liked with lots of stages all lined up ready yeah. for when the smarter people choose to come outside when it's not 37 degrees yeah it was a bit of a ghost town I think someone said the word soulless <laughs> no I can't remember who it was Um, I've got to say that with Guadalajara, for me, no one has ever recommended it to me as one of these sort of day trip towns from Madrid, unlike maybe Toledo or Avila or Chinchon or Aranjuez or Segovia, all the classics. No one has ever said, "Mm, yeah, you should definitely do a little day trip to Guadalajara. It is only an hour from Madrid, but... It definitely seems like the, the least popular, at least not, not the least known of, because everybody knows it. But when I've been telling people that we were going to come to Guadalajara, yeah. their responses were, oh, I see. <laughs> what are you going to do there? And, the, and my response is, well, whatever's available, whatever they have to offer. But the answer is really, so far, not too much. Would I recommend it as a day trip from Madrid? Uh, no. To be honest, sorry to people from Guadalajara. In terms of a tourist destination, you probably can't find too much to do there, as we kind of discovered from today. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you have to take into fact, today is the 28th of July, we're in the middle of summer, loads of people have gone, disappeared to the coasts or to their pueblos on holiday, because it was like a ghost town, wasn't it? A lot of shops closed up. One thing I was quite surprised about is the um, amount of kind of abandoned, disused buildings and shop fronts and apartment blocks, which are bricked up windows and quite a lot of uh, sort of state, quite a bad state of disrepair. So Guadalajara has a population of? 84,000, but I'm not sure if that is the province or just the city itself. I think for me, Guadalajara struck me as a bit like being stuck in a bit of a time warp. Lots of very old-fashioned kind of shops uh, mm, yeah. there. A little bit sort of dated, a lot of it. And kind of haphazard, the centre of it, the way that the city's kind of evolved. I don't know. I know that it was bombed heavily during the Spanish Civil War. Uh, any highlights at all? Well, I mean, <laughs> uh, the palace, as, as we talked about earlier, yeah. was, was basically completely destroyed during the Civil War. And... and of course, that was rebuilt basically from the ground up, yeah. as, as far as I know. Yeah. Which, yeah. That was about the only kind of standout site, really, wasn't it? I would be interested to have visited the city or the town before COVID because there were many, many for sale and for rent signs. But some of them looked like they'd been there for a while. Now, I don't know if the summers hit the city particularly hard with the dust and whatever, but... It felt as if half of the city had gone, um, lost the businesses. And is that because of COVID and the businesses have struggled to restart again? Or is it just a gradual decline in a place that probably loses many of its people to Madrid? But the Ayuntamiento was uh, impressive. Well, it was the Ayuntamiento for for the province. It was huge. It was like this big modern tower block. seemed almost slightly out of place out of place and unnecessarily big for its uh, its function I don't know the palace that we saw is is called the Palacio del Impantado Uh and it was built by the Mendoza family the bearers of the title of the Dukes of El Infantado Mm -hmm. embodied all of their power in this building which is the most representative property apparently in their possession. The building is the best representation apparently of the thinking of the Spanish Renaissance princes. Duke Inigo de Mendoza 
had it erected as a sign of his power and position. Every, everything in the building breathes splendor, apparently, from its facade to the interior decorations. Yeah, the facade was strange. Uh, well, no, interesting. It had, uh, it's quite ornate. It had these uh, big protruding pyramid kind of bricks coming out of the facade. No? The name of Guadalajara, where does that come from? You the name of Guadalajara. Yeah, Guadalajara, that's quite interesting. Um, Guadalajara, it was built by the Moors in the seventh century. And the settlement's first name sounded like Wadi al Hiyara, which translated from Arabic to Spanish would mean Valley of the Stones. The ancient Romans called it Ariaca, which means the River of Stones. Um, the Romans they were later expelled by the Visigoths, of course. And it was part of the Emirate of Cordoba and uh, was officially known as, as Madinat al-Farai in the 9th and 10th centuries. And then later, as I said, as Wadi-i-Hiara, Valley of Stones or River of Stones. Yeah, um, this was the northern extremities almost of the caliphate of Cordoba. And it was controlled by the Berber clan of Banu Salim, who governed it on behalf of the Umayyad rulers of Cordoba during the Muslim period. In terms of the name of, of Guadalajara, meaning River of Stones, I had read somewhere that, that in this case, stones, the stones in this case, shouldn't be seen as, as literal rocks or stones, but yeah. instead like fortresses yes. and, and yes. castles. You're absolutely right. There's some, um, well done, yeah, yeah, good, good, good research. Thank you. Um, yeah, they don't know. But yeah, that could be another well, I mean, possible origin. Walking around, you could see some, I mean, you could see some old fortresses, old, yeah. old castles. Interestingly enough, Guadalajara was taken by the French army just at the turn of the 19th century and was completely destroyed. But then in 1840, it became the capital of the province of the area. I'm interested to know how a city goes from being completely destroyed by an invading army to becoming the capital of the area, especially when just after the war of Spanish succession, mm. there was only 2,200 people living there. Really, 2,000? 2,200. So the city has been destroyed by various people throughout mm. history. The French came, the Spanish War of Succession, and it has somehow maintained its status as the capital city of the area. It is on the river Enares. I don't know if that's some kind of strategic benefit to the city that's on the river Enares. As a lot of people will know the town of Alcala de Enares, where Cervantes houses. Lovely town. That's definitely worth a trip, a day trip from Madrid to visit. Going back to the Spanish Civil War, Guadalajara was substantially damaged during the uh, Spanish Civil War. If we go back to that, on the July, um, 21st of July 1936, following the coup d'etat, of the 18th of July that obviously sparked the Spanish Civil War. The conspiring officers in the city, joined by forces of the public order and some civilians amounting to an overall force of roughly 800 people, seized control of Guadalajara. The next day, the Republican government in Madrid sent Ildefonso Puich Dendolas to quell the rebellion and secure the city. The rebels were pushed in retreat to the Cuartel de Aerostación, where they surrendered. The militias executed roughly 100 of them, and the city became a target of several aerial bombing attacks by the Francoist faction throughout the conflict. The most known one, which was in December 1936, substantially damaged the Palacio del Infantado, which is what we saw. And when we were looking at one of the facades, you guys said it looks like it's been sort of jigsawed, glued together almost, or cemented together. Yeah, now it does make sense 
that it would have fallen and been put back up because it just didn't it wasn't laying exactly right there was a bit of cement in between things so in the beginning i was like oh no surely that's just how it was built you take a closer inspection and you see the the, no that thing has definitely fallen down and knowing that it was damaged by substantially by aerial bombing raids that makes sense it looks a bit like sort of if you drop a drop a vase and then you glue it all back together again you can see all the little crooked lines (laughs) it's a bit like that for me it's what it looked like but yeah, the original palace uh, was uh, built in the Gothic style with numerous mudeja details. Apparently it was commissioned by the second Duke of the Infantado and built by Juan Guas, who began building it in 1480, and then later the fifth Duke would adapt it to the Renaissance tastes in 1569, adding balconies, which we saw, to the facade and replacing the columns on the ground floor of the courtyard of the lions. And it's now home to the Museum of Guadalajara. Yes, so on the other side, which is on Guadalajara's Plaza de España, not particularly impressive as a Plaza de España, I must say, is the entrance to the museum, which is on the other side of the palace. In terms of its construction, it's quite interesting. The Christians and the Moors collaborated in the construction, and it's got elements from Northern European Gothic and Islamic decoration. Adam, are you going to say something about... About my new favourite provincial flag in Spain. Your new favourite provincial flag in Spain? Because, Ollie, you're normally the expert on flags. I love flags. The Thamoran flag's the best one. The ugliest one, but the best one. But I'll, I'll let you take it away with... with... <laughs> the Guadalajara flag. Okay, I'll do my best to describe it first of all and then I'll see if I can shed a light on how it came about. So if you to look at the Guadalajara flag, it's a purple background with a shield in the middle and there is a plane with a fortress, if you like, in the background. And you can see a main character in the front who is a Christian army warlord called Alba Fáñez de Minaya. And he's leading what can be seen as a troop of people around the side of this fortress. Now, the sky is nighttime with stars, and on top of the fortress you can see a little flag which is, it looks similar to what the Turkish flag would be today, sort of this red flag with a white crescent moon, um, to signify an Arab settlement. That's exactly what you picked up on, isn't it? It was the the crescent moon on the flag. Exactly. Now, one of the things that is said of how this flag came about is that during the night... Um, it has a particular name. I think it's called St. John's Night, okay, in 1085, I believe. Mm. This um, Arab town of Guadalajara, Guadalajara, I think we, uh, yeah. we said earlier, yeah. the idea was that this Christian warlord who was leading several sieges across the Castile during the time went at night with a, a troop and the idea was that they waited around the outside of the fortress for a soldier to open up in the morning and they successfully took the city in and the morning. St- and storm it. And basically. basically storm it, yeah, whilst yeah. everyone else was still sleeping. And so this is now why this is the coat of arms for Guadalajara. Interesting stuff, there you go. Add that to your collection of flag knowledge, Ollie. It's going in. It's going in. <laughs> (laughs) 
So there you go. I think we could say Guadalajara City zero, Brewega one. Uh, Brewega is definitely worth it. You could comfortably spend uh, a relaxing day there, but you could see most of the sites in probably uh, about half a day. Um, if you don't have access to a car, it is going to be pretty tricky to actually get out and see the lavender fields uh, because the lavender fields around Brewega uh, are not right next to the town. They're certainly not walking distance. They're about five to eight kilometers uh, outside of Brewega in the surrounding area. So you probably would need a car. I'm not sure if tours are organized in July from the town of Brewega, quite possibly. My advice would be to check out the tourism website for Brewega and the address is turismobrewega.com. So if you're going to use public transport to get to Brewega, uh, I'm going to say it's a little bit complicated. Uh, you're going to need to catch a bus or a train to Guadalajara from Madrid. My advice would be to catch the C2 Cercanías light rail train, which takes you to Guadalajara. And then from Guadalajara to Brewega, you would need to catch the 033 bus. However, there are only about three buses per day. I'm just looking at the timetable now, and it seems to me there are three buses. They all leave in the afternoon, one at uh, one o'clock, half past two and half past three. The journey takes about 40 minutes. You'll have to check your timetables quite carefully to make sure you don't get stranded in Brewega uh, so that you can get back to Guadalajara to catch your return bus or train to Madrid. Okay, so I will leave it there for this episode. Don't forget to go and check out When in Spain on Instagram at When in Spain 1 to see all the photographs of the lavender and the town and, of course, lots of photos that relate to all of the various podcast episodes. And if you enjoy the podcast, please do consider signing up on Patreon to support the show at the crowdfunding website, patreon.com forward slash when in Spain. I shall leave it there. Thank you for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. I hope it transported you to a little rural corner of Spain. And until the next episode, I shall bid you all hasta luego. Music